What you're about to listen to is nothing but the blathering of two morons. It is not a legal opinion. Nor is it the opinion of our employers. None whatsoever. Is it advice of any variety? It's not. Especially not of a legal variety. Well, it could be advice of a dating variety. Yeah, we do dating advice. I don't want to limit ourselves. Yeah, as seeing that both of us have been on a date. (laughs) You're making some assumptions. 20 plus years ago. Yeah, maybe. It's been that long. Shh. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, an appropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hello and welcome to the Hostile Work Environment with Mark and Dennis. (coughs) (coughs) Do we live in L.A.? You would think. You would think if you looked at the sky outside. So here's an interesting stat for you. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday, I think it was this week. Um, so, okay. So context. Portland is the sufferer of massive amounts of smoke right now. Yes. Coming from our neighbors, both to the north and the south. Those bastards. The wildfires and the jet stream are combining to send lots and lots of smoke our way yeah we are like the vortex of everybody else's pollution right and we we have some fires of our own but they're not like the ones in washington and california but sometimes the wind blows south and sometimes the wind blows north and so and here's the amazing thing sometimes it does both at the same same time time, and there's a, a way that happens so on wednesday this week i saw an actual stat that showed air quality measure, you know, AQI air quality index around the world. Yeah. And Portland was the number one most polluted, you know, by that standard. Yeah. Worst air quality of any city in the entire world. The world. The world. We're number one. Take that, all of China. Yeah. Suck it, China. We rule. (laughs) <laughs> the, the way that came up was oh my god was so so portland was number one on that list and seattle was number two so of course a whole bunch of like my portland timbers twitter people were like we're number one suck at seattle yeah of course but also so, beijing well then also so 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 the funny part of that also is you know uh, the for for my soccer fandom right the the hashtag that we use on twitter is rctid rose city portland's called the rose city yeah. rose city till i die so I've I was like, that. now it's literal. Now it's literal. We are dying. We are Rose City. Till we die air pollution. of smoke inhalation. God, it's actually a little better today. It's actually, I think it's gotten worse today. And I just saw this morning, it's supposed to get really bad again the next three days. Oh, Jesus. The vortex of the Portland smoke vortex is back. Ugh. So it actually was much hazier on my way over here this morning. We're back in Studio A. Hey. Dennis's basement. For the first time in months. It's been a while, yeah. Anyway. It's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. But it, there's not, not a lot of ambient noise here, apparently. No. It's it's generally quite quiet here in Studio A. I can hear the birds chirping outside. It's, it's lovely. very nice. Well, yeah. I think the um, the smoke mutes a lot of the noise. Maybe that's it. It also keeps the temperatures cooler, so I guess that's one side I effect. I guess, but... Because, no, there were, supposed to, there were some days last week where it was supposed to be like 100 degrees. Right. And, then and it like, ended up nope. being like 88 with a lot of smoke. Yeah. And they actually said the smoke's actually blocking the sun from getting through. So, basically, to combat global warming, we need to light more fires. That's right. Yeah. Work on that, people. Yep. Burn. <laughs> so, how you been? I've been all right. Been a busy week. I spent four days in depositions. I have not done that in like years yeah i was like i was trying to get your attention a couple times i was like no uh-uh. no it was i didn't even hear from you no i was like yeah i'm i'm deposing somebody i was like what did i do your your text will have to wait <laughs> um but i'm glad to be here today me too and it's been a nice weekend so far indeed and we have an episode to record yeah we should probably get to that so i have uh, a couple of articles that were sent by one of our listeners oh that have a great legal discussion question at the end of them which should be pretty obvious as i read the stories but um this came from ann tomkinson hey ann uh and i'm going to title this 
Michigan hospital racism. Ooh, my favorite kind of hospital racism. So this was prompted um, by an article that came out just a couple of days ago. Um, and it's the story of Tioka. Tioka. Tioka Williams. She uh, was working a shift at the at Beaumont Health in Dearborn, Michigan on October 2nd last year. Okay. She's a 10-year employee. I think she's a nurse. I think it says she's a nurse in here somewhere. Um, when she was assigned two patients, uh, one of whom then said in earshot of her that she did not want a quote unquote black bitch to take care of her. Sounds like a lovely person said no one ever. Right. So when Tioka, who is black, yeah, reported the incident to a supervisor, she expected the supervisor to come back and tell that patient to go to hell. <laughs> That's not what not happened. what happened. Huh? The what, supervisor what instead told Tioka that she's not allowed to go into that room and replaced her with a white nurse. Okay. Her lawyer said that she then complained to this is all coming out of an article. So she right. then complains yeah. to the human resources department. Uh, and she was told that patient requests are honored all the time and that the next such time an incident occurred, she'd be simply taken off the assignment altogether. So they doubled down through HR saying the customers always right. Customers always right. The raving racist customer is always right. The, I don't, I can't tell if this is a health system or a hospital, but they came out with a statement, Beaumont health. That said, while we cannot comment on the specifics of this case because it is pending litigation, we can say that Beaumont's highest priority is providing a safe environment that is free from discrimination for both our patients and staff and delivering care with compassion, dignity, and respect. So this is all we've got. Not a lot of information on this, but uh, she filed suit this week, and that's why the articles were prompted. Okay. So... But was she fired? Was she reprimanded? Did no. she get in any trouble? She's she's saying that 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 this is discrimination. So what? So in the suit, she's alleging that the hospital was predisposed to discriminate based on race, and that its vi- behavior violated the Civil Rights Act. So I think that I could I think I could put some thoughts to that, which are if if we have racist patients who will only see white nurses. Yeah, that decreases my ability to do my job. And that could, I think you could have a colorable claim there that that affects the terms and conditions of your employment. Maybe so. So let's unpack that a bit. Yeah, go for it. So normally when we're looking at some sort of a discrimination lawsuit, we're looking for where are the damages here? Right. And just to be devil's advocate, one could say, and just, by the way, I am being devil's advocate because I don't think the hospital handled that well. No, we'll I don't think to, they handled we'll, that well. well, well, well there's we'll, a second story here I want to get to before we get too deep into the legal okay, discussion. Okay, so I won't go too deep. But, I mean, normally we're looking for, like, where are the damages? Was she fired? Was she reprimanded? Right, no, there's not. it's not obvious. Was here. she put on a different shift? It sounds to me like the only bad thing that happened to the nurse in this case is that she didn't have to go into the room of the raving racist lunatic, which many of us would view as a positive thing. Right. Many of us would view that as some form of enforced segregation and a negative thing, especially if that might be an opportunity to do some sort of nursing that she particularly enjoys or is challenging or would lead her to expand her capabilities. So I don't see it as problem free, but I also don't see this as a million dollar lawsuit. No, I, tend to agree with you, but it does get to a bigger, broader question, which I want to get to at the end here. Okay, so I'm going to shut up and so, let Mark talk. Anne also sent me a second article. Okay. Also from Michigan. Woo, this go one's, blue. This one's out of Flint. Woo, go dirty water. Um, And it's from 2013. And this is about Tanya. Tanya. Tanya is also a nurse. Um... And a veteran of the neonatal intensive care unit and a 25-year employee of the Hurley Medical Center in Flint. And the neonatal intensive care unit is a lot like NOM. Yes. You're apparently a veteran of it. Yes. Um, 
Tanya, Tanya said that she was working as a registered nurse in Hurley's neonative intensive care. You can just call it the unit, NICU. The NICU. Yeah. yeah. It, it then I'm reading it from the article. So I mean, all of our acronym nonsense aside, that's what hospitals. Call no, I know. It. And it actually says NICU on the next line. It oh, was okay, just cool. because they wanted to define the term first before they went. And I'm just reading it. Okay. Because that's, that's, I wasn't that prepared. I prepared, but I'm not that on, prepared Mark. today. I'm doing my best, man. Okay. I hope you, you know, give proper citations. that's a a different podcast okay Okay. continue um so she was doing that uh until october 31st i assume of 2013 when a man walks into the nicu where uh she was at an infant's bedside he reached towards the child Hmm. and tanya says that i introduced myself to him hi i'm tanya and i'm taking care of your baby can i see your identification band which is what you're supposed to do. Right. So she's referring to the hospital-issued identification used to identify infants' parents. Right. And he said in return, I need to see your supervisor. Whoa. So she is confused by his curtness. Understandably um, so. She asked for the charge nurse who spoke separately to the man. When the charge nurse returned... Uh, she told Tanya that the father did not want African-Americans to care for his child. Further, uh, the charge nurse told her uh, that he had rolled up his sleeve to expose what appeared to be a swastika. Oh, lovely. I felt like I froze, Tanya said. I was just really dumbfounded. I couldn't believe that's why he was so angry, and that's why he was requesting my charge nurse. I think my mouth hit the floor. It was really disbelief. The charge nurse passed the request to her supervisor, and she was reassigned. Um, A note was then posted uh, on the assignment clipboard for the child, reading, no African-American nurse to take care of this baby. Ooh. Even after hospital officials, I suppose, learned of and then removed the sign, Tanya and other black nurses were not assigned to care for the baby for about a month because of their race, according to the complaint. Right. And for those of you who do not know, infants are in the NICU for a very long time, potentially. Yes. This is where, like, the premature kids go and other kids that are born with some sort of, you know, medical condition that's going to require hospitalization for sometimes weeks. What flashed in my mind is, what's next? A note on the water fountain that says no blacks? Or a note on the bathroom that says no blacks? That's a Tanya quote. That's a Tanya quote. Yes. Not a Mark quote. Correct. So the article then goes to some interesting information. Yeah. Not specific to this story. It quotes or discusses a 2007 survey that says one in three doctors said that they felt patients believed they got better care if they matched the doctor's race. Hmm. Okay. Patients' requests were more likely to be honored if the request came from someone who was female, non-white, or Muslim, according to a report on the survey that was, uh, it's attributing to a University of Re- uh, Michigan uh, researcher. By the way? Yeah. Go blue. Yes, you've said that several times now. Only twice. I'm, okay. I'm keeping track. Okay, I suppose several is three. A couple of times now. Yeah. Um, Vicki Wynn, a spokeswoman for the Children's Hospital of Michigan, said that the hospital may try to accommodate a patient's request for providers with a certain religion or gender, but a request for a doctor based on race is different, she said. Hmm. Julie Gaffke who is an employment discrimination and civil rights lawyer in Frankenmuth, Michigan, which is the coolest name for town, uh, who is also Tanya's lawyer, said that medical personnel might receive such requests from time to time, but employers must guard against racial discrimination. It's probably a good idea. It's probably a good idea, but it begs a question for me. It does. It begs a bunch of questions. And this is where I want to start our discussion, but I think it goes to a broader... Let's start here, and then let's go to a broader set of questions. Yeah. Why race? Why is that not acceptable, according to these individuals, but gender and religion is acceptable to discriminate on the basis of those when it comes to choosing or selecting medical providers? Whoa. Because that's the implication, right? That is totally the implication. And, and, and we all know 
many people, maybe including ourselves, who feel more comfortable going to a physician um, who is the same gender as us. I actually feel the opposite. I, uh, me too. Okay, so which is just kind of a weird right, thing. I don't. Ha- but, I, don't you know. I don't really care personally. No, but, I don't get that bent about yeah, it. Yeah, but. I know a lot of people who do. Yeah, I do so too. Why would race be more of a problem here than gender and religion? And let's come up with the reasons for why, because I think that they're probably readily identifiable, at least on gender. I think that one's an easier one to start with. But the, yeah. what does that have to do with the law? Okay. So before we get into it too deep, I got to give a specific disclaimer beyond the one that we begin every podcast with to say, I worked for years in healthcare. This is an issue I've had to deal with multiple times. Fair enough. And, and I will give the same disclaimer that I am now in healthcare and I have not had to deal with it yet, but I very well might, but you will. And it, because it happens all the time and it happens everywhere. And I think when it comes to let's, pick them apart sex first then religion then we'll deal with race at the end because it gets progressively tougher yeah we as a society have an acceptance of people who say i want a doctor of a particular sex i'm not going to say it has to be the same or the opposite but you know people have a preference and oftentimes just to get you know technical about it or blunt i guess is probably the better way to put it Some of us are not comfortable having a person of the opposite sex poking around at the old undercarriage. Right? Yeah. And we as a society have said, yeah, that's that's understandable and that's okay. I know not that long ago, a friend of mine asked on Facebook, you know, for recommendations for a physician. And I recommended a male doctor and I was the only person to recommend to her a male doctor. Like 20 other people chimed in and offered up their their female doctors. It wasn't for a gynecologist or anything specific. It was for, you know, primary care physician. I knew this person was athletic and I recommended somebody who had a specialty in sports medicine. Everybody else just like, oh, I know this doctor. She's great. Right. So socially, socially, that is somehow acceptable. Now, legally, there actually are slightly different standards when it comes to sex discrimination. On a constitutional level, that's one of those things for the law geeks out there that gets a different level of scrutiny than race discrimination, which gets a higher level of scrutiny. Whether that should or should not be, I'm not going to get into. But, you know, we a- have said that there are specific times when it is okay to differentiate on the basis of sex. But not really on the basis of race. But not really on the basis of race. Those are much rarer. Right. They actually do exist, but they are extremely rare. And this is, I'm actually asking this because I hadn't thought about it even as deeply as you just went. And I, I, I am recalling that those standards on a constitutional right analysis but if we're talking about title seven and 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 civil rights laws right they're actually thrown in in the same way it comes up in the sense of what is a bona fide occupational qualification aha that's where i thought we were going to go with this right that is when i like the constitutional point just so you just so you know like i hadn't even gone there but we're not necessarily always dealing with constitutional law oh god no because we're not talking about passing a law that is discriminatory right right, 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 right? like it's it's the application of civil rights laws that you got a civil rights law that says race religion sex national origin all on the same all the same right but what is a bona fide occupational qualification changes based on which category you fall into and a bfoq is when your race your sex your religion is actually a qualification for that job imagine you want to go and apply for a job as a rabbi you probably need to be jewish right and that's and we've probably talked okay about this. we've talked right. about this in the past right but you know for those of who haven't yet completely caught up i want to make sure we're all using the right lingo yeah so when it comes to a physician i've actually encountered times when a physician's group will go out and actively recruit someone just because of sex we are looking for a male doctor 
Yes. Now, do you want to put that in an ad? No. But do you have that in the back of your mind as you're out recruiting? Usually it is, our practice has a lot of male doctors and we don't have enough female doctors right now. Our female patients are asking for female doctors. We really need to get one or two or a couple or however. We need to add to our roster in that way. Most of us would understand that patient demands for a particular gender of physician is acceptable and a BFOQ. Then we get into religion, and then it gets a little tougher. We all have this social norm that we are supposed to respect someone's religious beliefs and preferences. And sometimes religious beliefs and preferences spill over into the medical field where somebody might be more comfortable having a physician who is of the same religion. This strikes me as more of a stretch. I think it's more of a stretch too. Than gender. And yet it exists. And less of a stretch than race. And here is why I think that is so. All of us have a gender. Even if that gender is non-binary, right? I'm not being all like, you know, but we all have a gender identity and we can all sort of personalize our choice of and preference of physician. Yes. We don't all have a religion. And even those of us who do, your religion may not matter to you when it comes to your choice of caregiver, physician, nurse, etc. But again, we have we have a society have said that if you are of one of the religions where it does matter. And I don't mean to say that all Muslims fall into that category, but I do know that occasionally, especially with Muslim women, that they will want either a female doctor or preferably a female Muslim doctor if one is available. And I think many healthcare systems will go out of their way to see if they can accommodate that request. And that doesn't offend as many people as it does the gender issue. But then we get to race. And that's where we have we as a society has have said, while we acknowledge that there are people who may have a different level of comfort when it comes to a racial healthcare, the race of a healthcare provider, we as a society do not respect that belief. There is no there is no substantive argument on that. None. None it's whatsoever. It's really hard, unless you're like a racist, in which case I'm well, sure there is then one. It, then it, Yeah, maybe it feels that way, but it doesn't make it so. And yet those people who do have those preferences exist and they come into hospitals on a daily basis. But socially, we've said, no, we're not going to accommodate that one. Sorry. When it comes to healthcare providers, race is not a BFOQ. Okay, so now let's. So now let's take that and apply it to our situations here. Yeah. Okay, race is not a BFOQ. We're. We're kind of in a weird situation here, right? Because it's not about hiring and firing or employment decisions themselves. It's about access, right? It's about it's about how do you manage your customers' biases, right? And and here's how when it comes to race, let me just yeah. set that up a little bit too, because no, I want please. I want to expand it beyond just healthcare, right? I think when it comes to the, the first question I wanted to set up was gender and religion, and I think we have distinguished that very well from a BFOQ standpoint. But let's take this beyond healthcare. Let's just take it to normal job, right. any other job, right? Where you have a customer that comes in, and maybe you just have somebody sitting at a front desk yeah. who's black, and the person says, "Customer says, no, I need to deal with somebody else." Yeah, right. I think that that's almost exactly the same as this situation, right? Maybe, maybe there's some it, subtleties. It won't be, and we'll come back to that. Okay. So, a then, what's the difference? And b. Do employers have to allow their customers to do that? Or the transverse of that, right, can uh, – now I've got my, my tongue t- t- tied around that. So do we have to allow our our customers to dictate that? Or can we tell our – you know, the reverse of that, can we just tell the customer to go take a hike and we don't want to serve you if you're going to be that way? Yeah. And how so, does that deal with employment, right? <laughs> like it's super complicated. And I, so one of the other things I wanted yeah. to read here before we get there is they actually interview a bunch of legal scholars in this article. Oh, morons. They don't know what they're talking about. We do. 
Right. That That's always a given. The conclusion that they generally seem to come to, and I'll quote, the bottom line is that the law is not clear about this. Although I suspect the nurse will have a pretty strong case referring to hmm. the okay. second case that we talked about. So let, right. I, I just threw a whole lot at you. What do you think? Okay. Let's talk about, in general, employers out there. What should you do and why? I have an answer. When the customer comes in and wants, let's say you're running a barber shop. You know, like the blind guy in Boston. Remember him? I, like I episode do. like two. Um, let's say he's running a barber shop and a customer comes in and says, no, I want a white person to cut my hair. What do you do? I have a suggestion. You talk to that customer and you say, the barber that is is here to cut your hair happens to be a very good barber. And that barber's race has nothing to do with the quality of haircut that you will receive. If you are comfortable with that barber cutting your hair, you are welcome to stay here and have your hair cut. If you are not comfortable with that barber, I'm sure you can find a barber at a different barber shop. Goodbye. Good day, sir. That's how I would also choose to handle that. As an employer, do you have to handle it that way? Do you have to? Legally, which gets to the crux of the conversation we're having here about these cases. Right. So what if you say, yeah, sure, we'll change and we'll get you a white barber instead of the black barber who was going to cut your hair. Right. Does black barber in that case have a case? I think they do. It's probably a low value case from a damages standpoint. Right. Now, in, in some trades, they might get paid more or less, depending on the number of heads that they cut that day, in which case they would have minor economic damages. What you're really looking at is injunction relief, getting like the EEOC or a court to tell you not to continue with that practice, and then maybe some emotional distress. But most importantly, you're going to have bad publicity and you're going to look like a racist idiot. So don't do it. Right. But no, I think there's a case to be made there. It's the it's the so it, it, it you're better off losing the business of the occasional racist. Than to embrace their discrimination and then mirror it in your assignment of work. So. I agree with that wholeheartedly as a moral being. Right. I have a hard time, as we talked about at the very beginning, thinking about how that legal claim gets somewhere. Because I think you're going to have two problems. And I think you identify them very early on. Right. One is, right, what's one of the elements of, of any discrimination in employment claim is, was there an adverse action? Sorry, Dennis's cat is making eyes at me through the window. Oh, it's not um, my cat. It's the oh, neighbor cat. Oh, a neighbor cat. Yeah. Okay, even more. We have indoor cats. Yeah, yeah I was like, I never cat. seen your cats leave the house. Yeah. So neighbor cat is was was making eyes at me through the window. It was very distracting. Yeah. We'll edit that out. No, we won't. Um, <laughs> now I totally lost my train of thought, though. Um, you, you were like, uh, Dan- right, adverse action. That's where yeah. I was. Right. How do you show that there was a materially adverse action? that happened to you with regard to the terms and conditions of your employer. And then, assuming you can, how do you prove that you were damaged by that? Yeah, I have a feeling we're going to go beyond our 45 minutes that we were aiming for here. But I think that's okay because this is an interesting subject. We we can also skip a second segment. We could do that. We'll figure it out. But so what if, what if I go into my break room and I've got two microwave ovens and I just put up signs that say on one whites only and on the others, everybody else. That would be bad. It'd be bad and I'm not recommending it, but I think we would probably have an agreement. We would probably agree that besides that being bad, it's probably going to violate the law somehow. Right. Well, it re- relates we've, to, we've, we've I mean, sort of decided separate just, but equal, not cool. Right. Know, right. And, and that generally relates to access and public accommodation and and also does it apply to treating your employees i think it does i i would make that argument certainly i i I would certainly not advise anybody to keep those signs up i would tell them to take it down and why one you're showing that you're a racist and so if ever down the road there was an adverse employment action that that is going to be a piece of evidence exhibit a 
But two, I think you're opening up yourself to a hostile work environment claim. Yeah. It's an element thereof. And I think anytime you are assigning work, segregating, doing any of that stuff on an impermissible basis without a legitimate work business reason for doing so, you're just like saying, sue me. Does that open you up to some kind of constitutional argument? As a private employer, I don't know. As a public employer, I don't employer, know either. I was as a public, public employer. I don't absolutely. think there's any question. But I, I kind of, I hope there would be. And if there's any constitutional lawyers listening who know about this, like you know, once you get into the private employment realm, yeah, let us like, know. What is there a constitutional basis to say that employer can't have separate water fountains? Not right. that we're in any way. Let's be very clear, advocating anything of no, the no, sort. No, 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 no. We're just doing that as a, as a. We legal, just want to know. How many different claims will be pleaded on that complaint when they do get sued? Right. So we talked about barbershops, employment in general. I want to go back to healthcare and why it's trickier. Yeah. So healthcare providers, just like everybody else, have to follow, you know, Title VII, the Civil Rights Act, all of the public accommodation laws that you just mentioned, all of that stuff. But they got one more. Notwithstanding the BFOQ conversation we just had, which makes a lot more sense when it comes to gender, a lot less sense when it comes to religion, but even less, less sense when it comes to race. Right. But they have another one that they got to follow. You ever hear of IMTALA? I have heard of it. Yeah, and I forget what the acronym fully stands for, but it's E-M-T-A-L-A. It's the Emergency Treatment and Medical Leave Act. I don't know. But as a new healthcare employee, had I've been learning a little bit about that, but not but I but not anything specific to Intala. I've just been hearing about it. I know it's out there and I know it's part of a broader education that I'm right. getting for myself. But for those of you who have not worked in healthcare, Imtala is the federal law that says when somebody presents at a healthcare provider and they are in need of medical services, you may not send them away until they have become medically stable. You have to provide treatment to some people. And that's what you have makes to provide the treatment, or you have to offer to provide the treatment. Well, I, maybe you have to offer to. You, I mean, you can't just, like strap them down and. Well, right, them. no, but I'm, I'm parsing that because. Well, finish your point, and then I want to challenge the point. Well. So in the healthcare setting, my example starts to become very difficult because not just of EMTALA, but also of patient care issues, but EMTALA is part of it. If a patient comes into the hospital and says, no, I want that white nurse, not the black nurse. Same advice holds. What you should do is you should have a conversation with that patient. Say that black nurse that you do not want happens to be a highly skilled, trained professional and has our complete and total trust to provide the best possible patient care to you, regardless of the fact that she is black and you are not. And here's the kicker. Well, normally we would then say, and if you don't like it, there's the door. Good day, sir. Here's... That person may just have come out of an operating room and cannot be shown the door. And if you did show them the door, you would be sued. That person might be presenting at the emergency room. And you may have an obligation under EMTALA to provide or offer treatment to that person. So, but, but, But let me push on that. Does that person get to set the conditions under which you give them that treatment? Can they say... I only want a doctor who's six foot five no, no, and no. right. And right. Or, I mean, where do you draw the line on that? So you have offered and you are, you are able and willing to treat that patient, whether they just walked in the door, whether they're just out of surgery or whatever. Do you that? I mean, what, where do you draw the line around setting what I'm going to call ridiculous condition? It gets tricky, but you have to apply medical judgment to that situation to make sure that you are treating both the patient as well as doing your best not to create some sort of racially discriminating work environment. If somebody, you know, hobbles into the emergency room just having sliced their vein open with a chainsaw, and you know as a medical professional they need treatment or they are going to bleed out and die, but they say, no, I want the white doctor to sew me up. Do you... Have a chat with them as they, you know, bleed out on your emergency room floor 
about why the black doctor is perfectly able to sew them up and is a great doctor and blah, 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 blah. Or in the heat of the moment, knowing that that, you know, racist POS's life may be on the line. Do you just do what you need to do in order to save their life and deal with their racism at some later point in time? I think it is a pru- very I think prudence, tricky moral I think standard say that we have to that you need out. to do that. Yeah. And you need to do whatever you need to do to get that done. What if that person, let's just change the scenario a little bit because it kind of takes us a little bit. What if that person comes in and the only provider available is black? Yeah. And then they say, no, I don't want that. Then you're like, too bad. You are either going to have a black doctor stitch you up or you are going to die. And that is now your but choice, you, not ours. We cannot you, help you unless you, you accept the black doctor. You wouldn't doctor. say that you can or should do that if the option exists to change. I'm, what maybe I'm saying, that other physicians in the middle of something else. Yeah, or, I, it, you may be in a position where you have no choice but to accept the physician offered, or you die. And then, as a healthcare provider, I think you have to make that very clear to the person. But in in an emergent kind of situation like that, you think the best part of discretion would be accommodate that request, save the person's life, and deal with the fallout of it afterwards. Right. Here's the reality of healthcare. Patients come first. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's patient it's, safety comes first. It's different. You can always settle the employment lawsuit that may follow. You can settle the union grievance. You can deal with that stuff. You can do better next time if better you have to. Better do that to. than settling with an estate. So much better. That's what, you know, the one piece of advice that I would always give when I was an employment lawyer for a healthcare system, I would rather defend the employment lawsuit than the medical malpractice lawsuit. Do what it takes to save the patient and give them the best possible patient care first. Then we'll deal with everything else. Does that mean that you need to put up a no African-Americans treat this baby sign in the NICU? No. Oh, God, no. It doesn't necessarily even get to the scenarios that we're talking about in these cases, right? It might. Yeah. No, it's... It might, but it doesn't necessarily. Because in those circumstances, they may not be emergent. It might not be a situation that's that severe and you have the time to try to work that out ahead of time. Yeah. Crazy stuff happens in healthcare. Yeah. And I have nothing but the most highest admiration for the healthcare professionals that have to deal with that crazy stuff. And sometimes you got to make a judgment call in the heat of the moment and you do it based on what you think and your professional medical judgment is the best thing for patient care. And you live with it and you go on. And then you let the employment lawyers sort it out if that happens to be part of the fallout, which usually it's not. Yeah. Not that any of that excuses perpetuating some customer's racism in a non-emergent situation. That's completely different. If you can show them the door, show that racist customer the door. Agreed. All right. So now that... um all of our non-healthcare listeners have turned this off 15 minutes ago. Hopefully not. I think this has been very interesting. Um, anything else to add on the subject? I think we're probably way over on time. Yeah, we're pushing We're pushing 40 minutes, but it's okay. It's an important topic. I think this was a very good discussion. I, You know, it's one of those things where I think everybody who is in management or in HR of a customer service, or in this case, patient service type of... of employer really has to watch out for these issues yeah you can't assume that everybody who comes through your door is is a caring enlightened individual who is going to bring with them nothing but the most inclusive liberal values possible it just won't happen not even here in lovely portland Oregon. we can strive for that as a society but but reality is not there yet so beware all right we'll be back and we'll figure out if we're going to do a second segment or not So, Mark, I know we were going to try and, you know, limit the length of our segment. So your story is going to have to be short. But Fail. This, this piece was too good not to follow up our last discussion with. Okay. So those of our listeners who follow us on Twitter, which should be everyone, but is not. At um, HWE Podcast. Yeah. May have seen that I tweeted out this story without a whole lot of commentary. But I did ask for people to chime in and think if, you know. 
would the outcome of this have been the same in the United States? What I'm talking about is the case of a Muslim job applicant in Sweden who was shown the door during a job interview because she refused to shake hands with men. Oh, I, I missed this. Yeah, you should you should follow follow us on Twitter, Mark. No, Come I, on. I, so <laughs> here's what happened. And I may butcher the pronunciation of her name because it's not a Swedish name, which I could actually pronounce, but it's it appears to be Farah Alhaja. 24, was interviewing for a job as an interpreter at a place called Semantics. It's a language services company. And when the person conducting the interview offered to introduce her to a male boss, she said that she placed her hand on her heart as a greeting, smiled, and explained that she avoided physical contact because she was Muslim. At that point, she was shown to the elevator. Thank you. Goodbye. Um, so she got understandably somewhat upset about that. No. And went to something that Sweden had. It's called the Equality Ombudsman. Nice. We need more ombudsman. Did you know that's actually a Swedish what? term? Is it? That's um, where the term. Ombuds it, people. Yeah. Ombuds. It's actually ombudsman. In Swedish? Ombudsman in oh. Swedish. Um, it's where you go. It's it's sort of like their version of the EEOC. Ah. So she went there and said, look, I am being discriminated against on the basis of my religion. I should be allowed to place my hand on my heart in greeting to men because that is what a Muslim woman is supposed to do. That went to a Swedish court. And in the Swedish court system, you actually get a panel of judges. In this case, there were five. Those five judges ruled three to two in favor of the Muslim applicant and said, yeah, she should have been allowed to place her hand on her heart. Here's the rub. The other two said no. And this, they agreed with the employer in this, in this case, who said, yeah, religion's nice, but Sex discrimination is not, and we're not going to hire somebody who announces that they will discriminate against people on the basis of sex because they will shake hands with women but not with men. Interesting. So I tweeted that out a while back, and I said, how do you guys think this would turn out if this case was in the United States? And most people chimed in and said, oh, she'd win here too. You know, it's an easy religious accommodation to allow the Muslim woman to place her hand over her heart and not shake hands with men. I tend to agree. Okay. So not a whole lot to talk about there. Goodbye. See Except here's the rub. What if it was a male applicant who refused to shake hands with women? Would you have the same? In the same way? Yeah. In the same manner and in the same way? I think you have to say that that, that comes out the same way. Or it should. What if it was a male applicant who said that they would refuse to have dinner with a woman, even if it was for business reasons? Uh, are we talking about the vice president right now? No, 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 no. This is purely hypothetical. <laughs> so I think that there's there, there's probably some lines to be drawn. And I, legally, I, it's very fuzzy. Right? I think it's but, super fuzzy. But – one of these situations has to do with can you function in the job by doing it this way? And one might not, right? If, you're, if your job, right, I have a hard time seeing what job could be if you didn't shake hands with other people, but you still gave them a sign of respect Yeah, in greeting or in departing, right? I have a hard time seeing what job that would be a function of, right? But there are other jobs where salesperson. So what? You have to shake hands. No, you come and sit. Just, I, I want to greet you respectfully, right? Like, I mean, you, yeah, I mean, you could start to get there and make an argument, but I, I struggle with thinking that that's there's going to be too many where that's going to make you unable to do that job, or, or, right, you're not unable, but make it, make it a problem. In so some basically, way. you're saying shaking hands is not a BFOQ. No, I don't think so. But what right? if you but, go? What but if you being go able to be in the same place with your coworkers is that totally is. right? And if 
if it is part of what your business does that a lot of business is done over dinners or other things, like that very well may be an actual requirement of the job, right? And if there's, something, if there's something where actually making physical hand shaking gestures is an actual requirement or real part of the job and you can make a, you could make the case, then yeah, maybe it's that specific case. But I have a hard time getting there in almost any case. Are you, at all, are you at all bothered when you have a job applicant who comes in, even if they're not talking about a BFOQ? This is purely like the handshake thing. And I'm, I'm okay with like, yeah, no job requires you to shake your hands unless you're a you know professional handshaking model or something right. stupid. I, and I want to say, like, I, I agree here, right? It's a slippery slope. But where, where do you, right? So like, I think we're okay saying this about handshaking, but where do you go down the line to say, actually, no, this isn't okay anymore? Right. Or, or just you have somebody who comes in and expresses a gender-biased belief or opinion during a job interview. I shake hands with men, but not with women. Right. Does that allow you, <laughs> does that allow you or almost require you to ask the question, well, will that impact your job in any other way? Will you be able to treat employees yeah. equally? So I actually have a solution here. I actually think what the employer should have done is said, that's nice. As long as you're working here, you should probably greet everyone by putting your hand on your heart. Yeah, that could work. And not treat men and women differently. Right. Because that, here, that works in this case. Here, we need to treat everybody equally. So if you can find a way to greet everybody on an equal basis, we'll support that. I like that. I think that's fine. I, I but I don't because I don't it, think anything about a religion requires her to shake hands with women. But it doesn't get to some of the other scenarios we just talked about, such as having dinner. Right. Right. That's you could right. I mean, you could say yes. I'll go out to dinner with only female co-workers but not if there's a male co-worker involved right like that yeah you that, can't, that, you can't that, just that, say that gets you, you know tricky. you either go to dinner with everybody or nobody right but then it might still be part of the job that like there's you can't certain do your occupations job there's certain occupations you and i are in them where you know dinner meetings are just part of the job right and i have had meals with people of both sexes one-on-one as part of that job yeah. It would be very difficult to do it. On if, many occasions. Especially as an employment lawyer where many of our clients are female. Um, be very hard to say like, no, I don't have meals alone with women. Doesn't work. Right. Unless you get into the governorship of Indiana. Right. Or the vice presidency in which I guess it's, it's totally fine. All right. On that note. <laughs> on that note. That was cool. Cool. Thank you. Take a break. And now we come to the segment of the podcast that we like to call story time with Uncle Mark. Except, you know, just like your own Uncle Mark, it's usually full of profanity and inappropriate comments. Sounds about normal. Yeah. Sounds about par for the course. Yeah. All right. Um, I have a very short listener story today. Okay. Um, it's from an employment lawyer who says... Excellent. You may call me an employment lawyer who is a GFOP. And then in parentheses, TM, capital M, little I, capital B, which to me is men in black. Except TM. Like team men in black? I don't know. Trademark men in black? And I don't know what GFOP could possibly be. All right. Maybe maybe the story will... Yeah, tell, tell the all story right. and then maybe it will all become clear. If any of our listeners know, let us know. Once upon a time, I worked for a startup back in the dot-com boom times. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that means you're like 35, Yeah, our, which in Silicon Valley is ancient. It's, it's ancient, right? Our chief tech guy, who was a 19-year-old wunderkind and a tad awkward, was a big fan of strip clubs. He somehow won a raffle at a local upscale strip club that allowed a quote-unquote upscale strip club that allowed him to bring a group of 10 or 15 friends for dinner. We got a private room that had dining tables and separately and elevated seats for lap dances. Oh my. The CTO's two favorite dancers came to the room to entertain us. 
Lots of people bought lap dances. My boss, the CEO, bought a lap dance for me. I cannot remember a time I have been more uncomfortable. (laughs) I had to choose between staring at the dancer's boobs, which were right in my face, or my boss, who was three feet away and staring at me. My discomfort apparently was quite evident because the dancer said to me several times, you're doing great. Wow. Um, Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I could see that why that would be awkward for her. Um, All right. The the, the, the lap dance recipient is female. Oh, yeah. No, our, our, the individual who wrote us is female. Okay. Okay. Yes. So if that wasn't clear, I guess it wasn't clear. It is now. It is now. Afterward, uh, we took a limo from my friend's company, pink limos called the Homo Limo, (laughs) out to do more drinking. Oh, and the guy who seemed to enjoy the lap dances the most was this guy who loved to talk about his weapons arsenal. He was a little troubling. Uh, Sounds like it. So that's it. But, um, oh, God, that's painful. (laughs) Very. (laughs) Well, so having heard that, um, GFOP. Yeah, I don't know. Great fuddy old person? I don't know. I'm gonna have to ask her. Yeah, you're gonna have to get get some explanation here. But that's good. Right, I'm gonna. I will send a note to her today, and then and we'll if follow I hear up. back. Um, maybe you come on following the segment. Oh, just no. Come on, no. And just say like, this is what it is. No, what I'll do, we'll I'll do I'll, I'll do episode. better. I'll tweet out what it is. And then if you want to actually know, you're going to have to like you have to follow, follow us on, on Twitter. Twitter. That's even better. Yeah. How do people follow us on Twitter again? I think you go to this thing called Twitter.com and you look for us at HWE podcast. And the at is that A that has a little tail that curls all the way around it. Like an A in a circle. Yeah. Do you know what they call that in Swedish? No. It's called Snobelaw, which means... A with a trunk, like an elephant's oh, trunk. I like that. That's good to know. I think we should call it the trunk A. Good. All right. So we talked about Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. We are Hostile Work Environment. Just search for it. Yep. Uh, we find actually us. posted there once or twice in the last few weeks. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, Patreon.com slash H-W-E, where for the... Sum of a princely $1, you can get your own Patreon-only content and feel good about not being a complete and total freeloader. Right, which we're actually going to record one of those today, I think. Yeah, I think we are. So, um, yeah. Anything else? No. Anything else for the good of the order? No, we're really long. Let's Okay, meeting adjourned. Bye. Do you want to pay for the entire stay now? Uh, I pay you for one night. Fine. How All much? Right. One night is one hundred seventeen dollars and seven and thirteen cents. We'll call it eighty-five. No, we can call it one hundred and seventeen.